0: It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step onto the road and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you'll be swept off to. That's what Gandalf the Grey told Frodo Baggins at the beginning of their adventure. Have you ever felt like life is like that road? Like you've been swept away, you don't know where you're going, you don't know where to put your feet to hold on? Well, that's what we're here for today. We're here to talk about the Wildwood, where all the crazy things happen, where all the wild stuff happens, and you just don't know which direction to go. Today, I'm going to bring you some words from the Wildwood that'll help you keep your feet. All right, everybody, welcome back to our podcast. We are in the book of Ecclesiastes, not one of the most happy books, not one of the most positive books, but maybe one of the most insightful for the day and times in which we live. As we said last week, Solomon has come to the end of his life. He is uh, angry. He is jaded. He is bitter. He has done everything God told him not to do, and his life reflects all of the pain and suffering that he's brought on himself. Now, Solomon has lost his relationship with God, not because God walked away, but because Solomon walked away. He has embraced the hollow, pointless gods of his many wives. When you've got 700 wives, 300 concubines, 1,000 women pulling you in 1,000 different directions, and it says he had genuine love for them, but that love dragged him away from the first love of his life, which was the Lord our God. Now Solomon at this point in his life had no fixed point of reference. If you've never heard The Chair by Frank Peretti, find it online. The Chair by Frank Peretti. It talks about having a fixed point of reference. If you can always come back to a point that you know is absolutely true, centered, reliable, accurate, then you can always venture out there a little bit into the world And see how other things can stack up. The verses we are looking at today are back in chapter 1. We're going down to verse 12. So Ecclesiastes 1.12. I'll get it right one of these days. These verses show the mental state of a man who has lost his point of reference. Who has lost the center of his life. He is torn in a thousand different directions, literally. Literally. And his vision is gone. He can no longer see the world the way it truly is. He only sees it through the dark veil of his confusion. Now, when you no longer see God, you are truly blind. When you can no longer see God, what God is doing, what God is saying, you are deaf and you are blind and you have no hope in this world. And I believe that that's the state most of the world is in today. Most of the world today is blind and deaf. They don't know where they are, they don't know what's happening, they don't know what's right and what's wrong, and that's what's happening in the world today. Now there are three consequences when you have a godless worldview. When your worldview is simply what you see, what you feel, what you experience, when you have no concept of who God is, what God is doing, what God expects then you have these consequences that you're going to encounter. Now, the price for a godless worldview is extremely high. Let's look at it now. Ecclesiastes 1.12. When you have this consequence, the first one is a life without purpose. A life without purpose. They say that one of the most fundamental questions in life is, Why am I here? Why am I here? If you believe that time plus matter plus accident creates life, then life doesn't have meaning. It's, it's a joke. It's a, it's a cosmic coincidence. It's just something that happens, and you're born, you live, you die, and the worms eat you, and that's kind of what happens when you have a world without God in it. You have a life without purpose. Let's read it. I, the teacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, a great privilege, a great honor, I applied my mind to seek and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. All the activities of men, all the places they go, the things they do. God has given people this miserable task. Underline that word. Why would Solomon, the recipient of God's greatest blessing, why would he see life as a miserable task to keep them occupied, he says. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun and have found everything to be futile, a pursuit of the wind. Uh, Some of you may have an older translations and it may talk about inheriting the wind. This is the chapter we're in right now. And basically you can't pursue the wind. You can't catch it. You can't hold it in your hands. And this Looking for meaning in a world without God is like that. You can never grasp it. You can never lay hands on it. It's never a solid thing. But the question you want to ask when you come to these few verses, what kind of wisdom did Solomon pursue? He says, I pursued wisdom, all the work that is done under heaven. But what was he talking about? Let's consider this. Proverbs 3 1 through 12. We're going to do a lot of reading today, but it's going to help you understand what's happening to Solomon at the end of his life that makes him so angry and so bitter. He says, my son, do not forget my teachings and let your heart keep my commandments. This is Solomon at an earlier point in life. This is Solomon at the beginning of his reign as king. This is when he was still fresh, still in love with the Lord, still untouched by the doubts that would come along later. So my son, do not forget my teachings, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. There it is. Length of days, years of life, and the peace that we all so desperately look for. The shalom. Shalom is a word in Hebrew that means wholeness completeness wellness not just a peace from strife and war but a whole a holistic peace that pervades the whole body he says let not steadfast love and faithfulness and faithfulness forsake you bind them around your neck write them upon the tablets of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of god and man Trust in Yahweh with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. It's a very familiar verse to all of us. So trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding In all your ways acknowledge him. Give him the glory, give him the praise and he will make straight your paths. What's the opposite of that? Take all that glory for yourself. Take all of that selfishness and say, I did this, I did this. Nebuchadnezzar tried that, and it cost him years of insanity. He says, and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear Yahweh and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Wherever you are in life, whatever is happening, whatever you have done, come back to the God of your salvation. Come back to the Lord and know this peace. Know this healing. Know this refreshment to your bones. Honor Yahweh with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise Yahweh's discipline and be weary of his reproof. Don't be weary of his reproof. He is doing that to correct you. For Yahweh reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. I don't know about how you were raised, but I was raised with a belt. And I was raised with stern words, and I was raised by a father and a mother who loved me and did not want to see me destroy myself. So they were pretty harsh on us. Uh, I can say faithfully that my siblings inherited more of this wrath than I did. I don't think uh, I don't think Dad ever caught me once. I think Mom might have got me a couple times, but that was about it. So I, I learned my lesson quickly. They reproved me. They corrected me because they loved me and they wanted the best for me. God does that to you too. Sometimes that pain of of, of guilt in the soul, that, that, that bite in the spirit that says, hey, I'm not where I need to be. This is not what God called me to be. This is not what God called me to do. This is him calling you home. This is him giving you a swat on the behind, telling you, come back home to the God of your salvation, and you will find that peace again. So when we look at him, he says, this miserable task that God's given us. Why is it miserable? Because he has turned away from this God who promised healing. He has turned away from this God who says, fear me and turn away from evil, and there will be healing and refreshment to your bones. Solomon has left everything that mattered. So that's the first consequence of a godless life. You have a life without purpose. Now this next thing, this next consequence is, Life without ultimate truth. One thing I get sick of in this modern day and age, everybody says, well, this is my truth. Well, I'm sorry. Truth is not mutually exclusive. You can't have one truth and me another truth and another person another truth. Something is either true or it is not. There is either a God in heaven or there is not. Either Jesus was the Lord or he was a lying lunatic. There's no if, ands, buts, no playing, no shuffling the cards. You can't take the teachings of the Bible and take out some things and put in other things and stir it around like a stew and hope that uh, all the parts that you want rise to the top. That's not how it goes. Look at this, Ecclesiastes 1, 15. What is crooked cannot be straightened. So if it's messed up, it's messed up. Now, this is Solomon At the low point of his life, this is Solomon bitter, Solomon angry, Solomon frustrated. What is crooked cannot be strained. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, you have amassed wisdom far beyond all those who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has thoroughly grasped wisdom and knowledge. Wow, talk about arrogance. Solomon was the wisest man of his day. He was this wise king that even the queen of Sheba came to see his wisdom. But consider this, 1 Kings 3, 9 and 10. 1 Kings 3, 9 and 10. When asked what he would ask of the Lord when he became the king, you know, God said to Solomon, what do you want? He said this, give your servant therefore an understanding mind. You see, the mind, the wisdom wasn't Solomon. It came from God. It was a gift. He said, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil, for who was able to govern this great people? And it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. Solomon did not ask for wealth or power or fame or all the other things that kings normally ask for. He said, make me smart enough to govern your people, to keep them on the straight and narrow, to point them back to you, to do all of the things that my father david did in pointing the people to the worship of the lord you see the wisdom that he's bragging about up here that was a wisdom that he got from the lord the lord gave him as a gift he should have been praising god god has given me a mind god has given me wisdom i will say this i am not the sharpest crayon in the box Okay, I think a few of my color pencils are broken and the tips are pretty dull. But you know what? God has allowed me all these years the privilege of preaching his word. There is no greater privilege than preaching the word of God. Not being president of the United States, not being president of a corporation, not being a multimillionaire, not any of the other things that people seek after. Let me tell you something. The privilege of serving God Whether you're a Sunday school teacher, whether you're a homemaker, whether you're a house dad or or a house mom, or whatever you have, if you are teaching your children, if you're teaching others about the love of God, you have the greatest privilege in the world, and you should celebrate that, and you should thank God for it. You know, it's interesting. Friedrich Nietzsche was an, an, an atheist, and he said, you know, he famously said that God is dead, but there is a story that Nietzsche tells. See, Nietzsche asked the question, how can society rule itself without God? See, because he said God's dead. But then he began to realize, wait a minute, if there's no God, what's the world going to look like? This is what he says. If you ever want to understand Solomon, go to the Google and Google Friedrich Nietzsche, Fred Nietzsche, and you need to look up the parable of the madman. The parable of the madman. Just put that into the Google search, and it will pull it up. And now you need to read the whole thing. I'm going to do a little excerpt here because I want you to understand what his point is. Basically, there is a wild man who raises up early in the morning, and he lights a lantern at the, at the height of the, of the morning sun. And the sun's out full and bright. And he rushes into the street, and he looks around. And he says, where's God? Where's God? Where's God? This was an atheistic town, a town that had basically said that God is dead. It was Nietzsche himself he was talking about. And they said, oh, no, maybe he went on a trip. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he uh, overslept, or or maybe he has something else to do. And then the, the madman, the crazy guy, he says to them, hey, I'll tell you where God is. God is dead, and we have killed him. We have killed God. Now, these are his words right here. I want you to hear them, and I want you to go back and look at them and understand this is the mind of King Solomon. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What was holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned has bled to death under our knives, our criticism, our idolatry, our our worship of things other than him. He has bled to death under our knives. Who will wipe this blood off us? There's a question for you, world. There's blood on you, and that blood is called sin. And that sin is disobedience against the God who made you. Now, don't get all wrapped up in the whole sin thing. We are all guilty of sin. Every human being who was ever born, except for the Lord Jesus Christ, was guilty of sin. Solomon himself was desperately guilty of sin, as his father David had been. And so basically, he says, you know, how shall we comfort ourselves? We're the murderer of all murderers. What was holy and mighty, we have, we have killed it with our knives, with our criticism, with our cynicism. And it says, who will wipe this blood off us? Now, listen to this. What water is there for us to cleanse ourselves? What festivals of atonement? What sacred games shall we have to invent? Is not the greatness of this deed too great for us? Must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it? Nietzsche wrote this at the turn of the 20th century. At the turn of the 20th century. He's right here going into this new age and he writes this, that we have to become gods to be worthy of having murdered the God of heaven. And what he's basically saying is this, man can't exist without God. Why? Because without God, there's no purpose. There's no foundation. There's no sureness. As I said earlier, you have no fixed point of reference. Every person is going to become their own God. They're going to say, well, to me, this is okay, and that's not. Well, to me, that's okay, but this is not. And then you have no law. You have no way of understanding what is really true in the world. And Solomon was bitter because... He had pursued all this knowledge and he couldn't find anything that made sense because in pursuing this earthly wisdom, he had turned his back on God who was the source of all eternal truth. And that's what's happening in our world today. We are trying to live a life without a single moral standard. We don't have moral standards anymore. We don't have People out there saying, this is absolutely right. This is absolutely wrong. We put qualifiers on everything. Well, you can do this except for here, here, and here. And you can't do that except for here, here, and here. I'm not calling anybody on the carpet. I'm not judging. I'm just saying the world that we live in today doesn't have a standard because they have killed God. They have not murdered the God of heaven. The God of heaven lives. And when Jesus comes again, He will take his church. And after the seven years of the tribulation, man will be judged. Man will be judged. After that thousand year reign of Christ, man, judgment falls down and nothing can stop that. Nothing can avoid that. But basically in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts, we have put God to death and said, God, we don't want to listen to you. We don't want to follow you. There was a great TV show on about 10 years ago. And the, the, the the lead character is this wonderful guy. He's like a sheriff and everyone loves him. And then his wife one day says, Hey, what do you have against God? He says, Hey, I got nothing against God. I just don't want him in my house. I forget why she, she had brought this up. I don't know whether it was Christmas trees or putting a cross on the wall. He basically said, yeah, I don't mind there being a God as long as he stays out there away from me and leaves my home, my heart, my lifestyle alone. And that's what's happening in the world today. We have killed God and now we have to find some way to make the judgments that God has already made in eternity. So there's the second, second consequence of a godless point of view, a godless lifestyle. The third one is even simpler. It's Ecclesiastes 1.17. You have a life without hope. When you do not have God, you have a life without hope. Basically, this is it. You are born, you live, you die, you feed the worms. That's it. That's it if you are an atheist. If you are an atheist, there is nothing more. You're born, you live, you die, and it's over then nobody remembers you, nobody thinks about you. You sort of pass away into, into forgotten history. It's kind of what Solomon was ranting about uh, last week. But he says this, I apply my mind to know wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly. I learned that this too is a pursuit of the wind, chasing a thing that can never be possessed. For with much wisdom is much sorrow. As knowledge increases... Grief increases. Verse 18 is a statement that can only be made by an atheist. Only an atheist can make a statement like that because it's just impossible. If you know who God is, the knowledge of God is sweet. The knowledge of God is fulfilling. The knowledge of God is purpose-filled. Consider this, Acts 5, through 39 one of my favorite stories out of the book of Acts, you have to love it. It talks about life without hope, but it also talks about making wise decisions. You see, he made the decision to pursue a world without God. Consider Acts 5. He says this, when they heard this, the, 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 the ruling Jewish elders had interviewed the uh, disciples and they had heard the testimony about it. Jesus. It says, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was respected by all of the people, that means all the political parties, that's the Pharisees, Sadducees, and Scribes, he stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be taken outside for a little while. He says, you know what, take these guys outside, let them get a breath. Verse 35 is important. He said to them, men of Israel... Be careful about what you're going to do to these men. Not long ago, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his partisans were dispersed, and they came to nothing. After this, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and attracted a following. That man also perished, and all his partisans were scattered. And now I tell you, stay away from these men. This is Gamaliel, the great teacher, the head of the rabbinical house. He says, stay away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will be overthrown. He had great wisdom here. He understood how things worked. Verse 39, but if this is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them you may even be found fighting against God. So they were persuaded by him. Amazing. If only Solomon could have had this kind of wisdom to know that you can't fight against God in the way that God orders the universe. You can't fight against God in the way he blesses some and seems not to bless others. If you turn your back on the wisdom that God gives you become like the Pharisees at the beginning of that story. You're just emotional. You're reacting. You're, you're, you're going on your on your on your desires of the moment. But Gamaliel stands up and he relies on this wisdom from God and says, Look, if this is from Yahweh, you can't stop it. You can't. In fact, you're gonna be fighting against God. You know you're gonna lose. So there's great wisdom there, an amazing one. And it makes you wish that when he's in Ecclesiastes 1, you know, 17, 18, with much wisdom is sorrow, as knowledge increases, grief increases. No, there was great peace in knowing that God cannot be defeated, that God must be victorious. And that's the very thing that Gamaliel was talking about. And it's the thing that we have to think about today. We have a God who cannot be defeated. So basically, all we have to know is that we stick with the word of God, And we won't become like Solomon. We won't become bitter. We won't become frustrated or angry. Church, have a great week this week. Go out. I pray somebody will find you that needs to talk to you, that needs to hear what you have to say, and be ready to give your reason for this wonderful hope that we have in Jesus Christ. May God bless, and we'll talk to you again next week. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in today to listening to our programs. We appreciate your attention. We present this for you as a way of building up God's people, giving you hope in these dark days. They are presented to you commercial free. We don't solicit money from any companies, Bible organizations, or churches. We put it out there because we believe wholeheartedly that the Word of God is the only hope this country or any country could have. Because we present it to you commercial-free, we do ask you to search your heart. If you feel the need to support us in any way, it it could be a a love offering, a gift. Send me enough for a cup of coffee. I'd really appreciate it. You can send all support to Richard Stidham, S-T-I-D-H-A-M, Richard Stidham at Box 1321, Baytown, Texas. 77521. And everything you send to us will be used to keep this podcast on the air. Have a great day. God bless. And remember, keep looking up. Our salvation is drawing near.